Good morning, folks. Um, our Bible reading today is uh, the last chapter in Jonah, and that's Jonah 4. This is God's word. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is what made me haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful, that you, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor you did not make grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And I should not pit, and should I not pity, pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who you do not know their right hand from their left and, much, and also much cattle. Let us pray. Father, we still ourselves before you. And we thank you that we do come to a God who is abounding in steadfast love, that you are merciful and that you are slow to anger. So, Father, as your people, we are so thankful for that. We are so thankful for who you are. And Father, as we think this morning of what Thelma has brought before us, Father, we are humbled. And Father, if sometimes we're honest, that just seems so far removed from the life that we have. And Father, sometimes that can just make us complacent and oblivious to what is going on across this world. So Father, help us as we, it is brought into our focus, Father, I pray that we would, that we would pray for these guys, that we would also learn from them. Father, help us to really know what it is to worship the one true God. 
what that looks like. Father, we can sing about our flesh feeling, but Father, in reality, we sometimes it's just empty. So Father, I pray that you would help us worship you in spirit and truth. Father, I pray this morning that you would take John's prep, Father, all that he has prepared, Father, and that you, yeah, that you would just use it. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would minister deep into our lives, Father, that we would know more of who you are. Because, Father, you are worthy of it all. You're worthy of every song we could ever sing. Father, I just pray. Pray for this now. Pray for what we're about to do. I just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Emily. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, can I ask a question before we jump into the text this morning? Uh, was it just me, or did that young fella look as if he was been held at gunpoint by Jacob for the first, but for the first two minutes of that video? No. Blink, blink twice if you want rescued. Uh, but I'm sure he wasn't. I'm sure he was delighted. But just yeah. Anyway. Uh, from speaking to many of you, uh, I know that you are interested in or have a heart for a global mission, a mission all around the world, either here, even here or further afield, you have a heart for mission. And maybe, in fact, from speaking to many of you, I know that you've read about the great missionaries that have went out all over the world uh, over the years, C.T. Studd, Jim Elliott, William Carey, Elizabeth Elliott, uh, and even, even Jacob. And we look at those missionaries as wonderful people. Uh, but even they, as we come to discover in Jonah, e even they may not have been as effective as the prophet Jonah. If you jump back into chapter 3 and look at what uh, happened last week, verses 4 and 5, you'll notice that Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, uh, and, he, and he literally says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. We talked about that last week. That is not the most seeker-sensitive uh, message that you've ever heard. It is not live your best life now. It is either 40 days you shall repent and God will turn this around, or God will destroy you as a city. And what we see is, is complete repentance on the people on the city of Nineveh. They call for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And by any measure, that is an overwhelming response to the preaching of God's Word. That's an impressive response. Uh, any preacher would long for even a little bit of that response. It's a great missionary story. And we read of these stories of missionaries, as I say, C.T. Studd, Jim Elliot, William Carey, Elizabeth Elliot, going out into the world and preaching the gospel. Uh, 
uh, and people coming to faith in Jesus, and we think that these, these missionaries are, 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 are brilliant. But the truth is this. What makes this story, Jonah, a great missionary story, and what makes the story of Jim Elliott and William Carey and Elizabeth Elliott great missionary stories is not the missionary themselves. But it is their God that makes these great missionary stories. This is a story, Jonah is a story about a missional God. It's a story about a missional God, about His heart. And in fact, that's where missions must begin and that's where missions must end, with God and His heart for people. John Stott makes this statement about missions. Missions arise from the heart of God Himself and is communicated from His heart to ours. Mission is the global outreach of a global people of a global God. That's a wonderful definition of what mission is. It originates in the heart of God, comes to the heart of His people, and goes to the world. This story is not a story about a wonderful missionary, but about a wonderful God who has a missional heart. And what we find from Jonah chapter 4 today is a few things, three things really. And the first thing we find from Jonah chapter 4 is this, Jonah knew God. Jonah knew God, he knew who he was. As we think about this whole book, and and particularly about this chapter, you see a few things that arise from Jonah's knowing of God. Two things in particular that Jonah knew of God. And he knew this. He knew that he was sovereign, and he knew that he was full of grace. Jonah knew these two things about God, that he was a sovereign God, and that he was a merciful God. And Jonah didn't just know this as some sort of theological abstract notion in his head. He didn't know it just in his head, but but this had taken, these realities of God's sovereignty and His grace had taken hold, in fact, of Jonah's life. He understood it, and he had a personal experience of these attributes of God. And if you go back to the beginning of the book of Jonah, and if you think about God commanding Jonah to go to Nineveh when he runs away, these are exactly the reasons he runs away. He knows God is sovereign, and he knows God is gracious. And he knows there's every chance that when, when he goes to Nineveh and he preaches the word, that they will actually repent, because he knows God is merciful. And he knows there's a chance that God will relent, and so he runs away. The text tells us that God brought this storm to the sea. It almost wrecked the ship that he's in. The sailors cast lots, found Jonah responsible, and then he says, I am a Hebrew. He says, and I fear the Lord. And listen to how he describes the Lord. Yahweh, I fear the Lord, the God of heavens. 
of the heavens, who made the sea and dry land. Now, what is he saying? What is Jonah saying when he's making those statements? He's saying this, I know God. He's the Lord of the heavens. He's the creator of the sea and the dry land. In other words, Jonah is affirming this understanding of who God is. He's sovereign and he's gracious. He is the sovereign creator of all things. But it wasn't just again, and I have to reiterate this, it wasn't just as if he knew it in his head. He had experienced it. And we see that he experiences it from what he says. If you go down through to verse 6, down through verse 8 of chapter 4, you'll see this. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. And, it made, and, and made it come over Jonah that he might have shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. And so it withered when the sun rose. God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Notice the repetition. God appointed. God appointed. God appointed. It is very, very clear. This language comes up time and time again in the book of Jonah. If you go back to Jonah 1, you'll remember when they tossed him overboard, what did God do? God appointed a fish that swallowed him. Jonah was in the valley of the fish three days and three nights. And now again, God appoints. This is what Jonah has experienced. Not only does he know it in his head that God is sovereign, but he knows it through his experience. God has appointed. He appointed the fish. He appointed the plant. He appointed the worm. He appointed the scorching east wind. God's sovereignty was a reality for Jonah. He could say it with his lips. He knew it in his mind, but he had experienced it in his life. And when he complains, notice what he says, I would rather die than live. And he's not complaining to himself. He's not complaining to Mother Nature. He's actually complaining to God because he knew that God was the one who was ultimately responsible for his circumstances. Jonah knew the sovereignty of God. But he also knew that God was full of grace. You see, if you go back again, you know after he sees Nineveh, he's going and he says, verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and he said, O Lord, is this not what I said to you when I was still in my country? And this is why I fled, because I knew you would relent. I knew you're merciful. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Well, how in the world did he know that? How did he know that? Because the prophet knew his Bible. 
the prophet knew his Bible. It's not the first time you'll see that language in the Scriptures. You back through the Old Testament and find it in Exodus, where Moses says similar words. Lord, you are merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and and transgression and sin. You see this language over and over again. Jonah knew God. He knew he was sovereign and he knew he was gracious. Jonah knew God. And because he knew God, he knew he could pray like this. Because he knew God, he knew he could pray like this. Do you see the honesty that there is in Jonah's prayer? Do you see the honesty that there is in the interaction between him and God? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? There is extreme honesty in Jonah's prayer. Then he goes on to say, Listen, because you've done what you've done, I would rather be dead. And it's only because he actually knows God that he can pray like this. And there's just one simple point of application at this point that I want to leave with you. It is this. Honest prayer is okay. Honest prayer is okay. How many of us think that we cannot pray honestly because we think we are sparing God's feelings? We might offend Him. What a puny we God we have if that's our thinking. That we might offend the God of heaven and earth, that we might offend the God of all creation by coming to Him and being honest. We see this honesty in prayer over and over again in the Scriptures. We see it in the Psalms. We see it in, 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 in the story of Elijah. We see it over and over again where these people come to God and they spew out their hearts because they know God, they know God can take it, and they know that God will be all right with it. And yet somehow we have contrived that we think we'll spur God's feelings by not being honest with Him. And here's the one that always gets me about this, even in my own life. If we believe in the God of the Bible, guess what? He knows what you're thinking anyway. Why would you hold back How many of us are contorted inside because we're so frustrated and we're so angry and we're so uh, just wrought up inside and we can't speak to God about it because we think we'll hurt His feelings? He knows. He knew Jonah's response. He knew what Jonah was going to say. And yet here we have this open and honest dialogue with God. What is it for you this morning that you would just love to be able to say to God, but but think that you can't because you might be hurting His feelings? Why, God, did I go through this? 
why, God, am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Why, God, are you doing this? Why are you doing that? I don't understand it. I can't see the purposes in it. I don't know what you're doing. It looks to me as if you've lost the run of yourself. Would you pray that prayer this morning? That's what Jonah did. It is okay. And I honestly think it would do us the world of good to be honest with God. Because most of us are keeping something in. That you would never tell anyone else. And yet he's there. He's there. That you could spew your guts to. And be fully known. And fully loved. Jonah knew God. He knew his sovereignty, but as I say, he also understands. My second thing, point this morning is this. Jonah understands grace. He knows God's sovereignty, but he understands grace. And again, because he had experienced it, just like he knew the sovereignty of God and he experienced the sovereignty of God, God appointed, God appointed, God appointed. He knows the grace of God because God had, sh- had, had let him see his grace in his reality in his life. He experiences it here, this plant. He knew this plant was appointed from God. God appointed it. Jonah built the booth. He had none to do with the plant rising up. He had none to do with it. He couldn't control it. And God appointed that this plant would come and shield him. And that was a grace of God in his life. Look what God says to him in verse 10. He says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. This plant was a mercy and a grace of the kindness of God. And Jonah experienced it. Of course, Jonah had already experienced the grace of God from the bottom of the sea, where he was swallowed up and he was spat out that is grace. He was undeserving. That is where you remember he cried out, salvation belongs to the Lord. He was undeserving, and yet God showed him grace. He has experienced grace in his life. So here the prophet is. He knows and has experienced sovereignty. Here the prophet is. He knows and he has experienced grace. And folks, I want to say as we finish out the book this morning, are these not the, the biggest two theological realities that should define us? If we are people who claim to believe the Bible, are these not two of the biggest theological anchor points that we have? Sovereignty and grace. We say we believe the Bible. We understand that we are saved. We are only saved by God's sovereign purposes, by grace alone. We know that it's about Him and it's not about us. We love things like the words of Abraham Cowper where he says, not one square inch, there is not one square inch where God does not cry, mine. We love that. 
Surely we know sovereignty and grace. And yet, as in the case of Jonah, there are many times in our lives where these two realities can become extraordinarily difficult, extraordinarily difficult things for us to live out and be okay with. The fact is this, Jonah knew God's character. He knew sovereignty. He knew grace. And in these moments, he did not reflect them. And in these moments, he did not reflect them. This is part of the tragedy of the story of Jonah. You see, God's sovereignty and His grace should have what? It should have led the prophet to a joyful willingness to go into the world and share the gospel, knowing that God was merciful, knowing that He was sovereign over all things and He would fulfill His purposes. That should have led him to a joyful submission to go into the world and proclaim the gospel. But what do we see it actually, what do we see happen? We see it actually harden his heart. It should have made him a willing missionary, but it didn't. And you see, again, for us, and we've talked about it over the last few weeks, especially in home group, for us, sovereignty means that God has the absolute right, the absolute authority, and the absolute freedom to do with what He wants, with whomever He wants, how He wants, whenever He wants, all the time. Either He is sovereign over all things or He's sovereign over nothing. And we know the grace. This, is show, this book has shown us the grace of God. And what that should do, both those things hand in hand, should make us willing missionaries to go out into the world, knowing that God will fulfill His purposes, knowing that God will do what He will do, asking us to go and share the gospel, and knowing that grace alone will save people. That's what it should do. Jonah knew sovereignty, and he knew grace. but he did not respond in the right way. How do you respond this morning to those two realities? Sovereignty and grace. Are these areas of struggle? Do you struggle with the sovereignty of God? Now, I know maybe none of us would say, would be open enough and honest enough to say to ourselves, yes, I, I do struggle with the sovereignty of God. But do you? Can all of us look back at our lives sitting in here this morning, in this room, in this place, and look back at our lives and look at every single thing that has happened in our lives and say that the sovereignty of God has led us to this point? And everything that has happened is under His sovereign hand. Everything. 
Do you struggle with grace? Grace for yourself. That might sound like a silly thing to say. But I have heard it. I know God can forgive me and God can show me grace, but I can't forgive myself. I want to be really honest with you. If you're saying that this morning, where are you placing yourself in relation to God? If you're saying that you know that God can forgive you, but you cannot forgive yourself, you're actually placing yourself above God. It is the most extremely arrogant thing that you could say. God can forgive you, but you can't. That is the epitome of arrogance. You are placing yourself above God. Grace for yourself. Are you struggling with grace for others? Again, I know that this sounds like a, like a, like a ridiculous thing to say in Cornerstone Church. How could we, the good people of Cornerstone Church, be struggling with grace for others? As we go through the rest of this morning and the rest of this text, I want you to think about that. I want you to think, are there any areas of your life, any other people, any other groups of people that you are struggling to show grace to or would struggle to show grace to? Because we'll see that develop out for Jonah here and how that works out for him. Jonah knew God. He knew His sovereignty and he knew His grace. Third thing this morning. Jonah responds appallingly. Jonah responds appallingly. Notice here again the brutal honesty that Jonah does have, and it's, it, he might as well because God knows anyway, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. The fact that God was going to relent, that God was going to let these people off, displeased him. He was raging. It can, the text could literally be translated like this. It was, exceed, it was an exceedingly evil thing to Jonah. And he burned with anger. In other words, it wasn't just simply a matter of him being somewhat displeased with God. What happened, what happened here got him so angry with God. He saw this as an evil act on the part of God. And in verse 3, he says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. 
this just isn't a pity party on Jonah's part. What Jonah is saying here is this, God, if you're going to be like this, I'd rather not be here. I'd rather die. If you're going to be like this, and if you're going to show this, this sort of grace to these sort of people, I'd rather not be here. If you're going to show this sort of grace and this sort of compassion to our enemies, I'd rather die. Now, we immediately hear that, and we respond by in our hearts and in our minds this morning, again, the good people of Cornerstone Church, I would imagine our response is, isn't that awful? Isn't that an awful response from Jonah? That's horrible. There is no way in the world that I could possibly ever think like that. But as I say, before you do that, I want us this morning to do some serious self-examination. And think. And ponder, is there anyone, are there any groups of people that I would respond likewise to if God actually showed up and God actually saved them and God relented on them? Again, if you were to go into the New Testament to the parable, we've we've shown the parallel before between this story uh, and the parallel between this story and the prodigal son. If you go into the story of the prodigal son, you remember the story. You'll remember it well. The younger son took his inheritance, goes off, squanders it in all kinds of sinful living. He comes to his senses and he comes back. And what did the father do? The father welcomed him back with open arms. You're welcome back, son. Let's throw a party. Let's, let's have a feast in your honor. Let's give you the best that we have. Let's do that. The older brother was invited in. And in Luke 15 it says, The older brother was what? Angry. The older brother was angry. And he refused to go in. Why was he so angry? Because the father had shown grace to someone who he deemed didn't deserve it. The father had shown grace to someone he deemed didn't deserve it. That's why the older brother was angry. And that's why he kept himself outside the feast and didn't go in. He felt that the younger brother was unworthy of this grace. Now, as soon as I say those words out of my mouth, you should be thinking, something doesn't sound right there. How could you be unworthy of this grace? Grace surely is for the unworthy. It's for the undeserving. It's unmerited favor from God. Yes. Surely you could never find anyone that you could actually look at and say they are somehow unworthy of the grace of God. Because all of us are unworthy of the grace of God. But here's what happens. 
we can build this, C.S. Lewis describes this uh, as a sort of an inner ring that we find ourselves in. And everybody else is on the outer, outer peripheries of this inner ring. We can put certain people on the outside of this inner ring, and so we, we, we kind of understand that, w- that we're unworthy of it, yes, but, but those outside the ring are really, really unworthy of the grace of God. Grace couldn't possibly extend to them. Now, I want you to think of who that might be for you. Someone who has done you wrong. Someone who has hurt you. Someone who has done something in the past some enemy of yours, some group of people who you look at and think they've had so many chances, so many opportunities. Why don't they take, their, take the opportunities? Why don't they make themselves right? The grace of God it cannot ever reach them. They, unwor- they are unworthy. Who might that be? And this is not to deny the hurt that has been caused. This is not to deny the realities of what happened. But if we are to look at ourselves and know ourselves rightly, we must understand we do not deserve the grace of God. There is no one in this room this morning. No, not one. That is deserving of God's grace. Cliches are cliches for a reason. Because they're normally right. And here's the thing. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. No one deserves it. So whoever that person is, whoever that group of people you think are thinking of right now, they deserve the grace of God every bit as much as you do. They don't. And yet, if God chooses to show them it, it's up to Him. It's up to him. Could it be this morning that we are standing in our own way of our missional calling? Because we have excluded a certain group of people from the grace of God. You see, this is what caused him to run. This is why he's sulking, because he knew the reality of who God was. Jonah knew God. Jonah knew that God would do what God wants to do 
when God wants to do it, with whom He wants to do it, how He wants to do it. Folks, that is the most freeing reality that we could ever come to. It takes so much pressure off. Let God be God. Jonah is angry. And God finishes up here with these words. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do well to be angry, even angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. Folks, is that not the world we live in? Is that not the world we live in today? Where people do not know their left hand from their right. It is an upside down, messed up place. And what we see from this text is that God them. His heart is broken for them. And he has placed a people in this time for this purpose to take the gospel out, to share the good news, and so that they might repent and come to him. Jonah is a story of a missional God with missional intent who wants, who, who is longing to show mercy to this world. And somehow in his sovereignty, and somehow in his grace, he has chosen the church of Jesus Christ to take that sovereignty and to take that grace to a messed up, broken world. I'm, I'm literally standing here now and thinking of places where if we were to go to the heart of God this morning, would he not look at them and say, do I not pity these places? There are places four miles from here with little or no gospel witness. There are places ten miles from here with little or no gospel witness. Does he not pity them? Is he not longing to show compassion on them and show grace? If the church would go. Are we going to be like Jonah? And say no? Or are we going to be like the Apostle Paul? And go and share the gospel where God calls us to. The call is there. Will we answer? Let me pray.